Live from Kalaloo Studios in New York City, you are listening to Let's Take It Offline with your host, Ishana Palmer. Hey, Fab Crew. You're listening to Let's Take This Offline, the podcast for everyday leaders. Part inspiration, part sit down. Let's have a conversation. Here's where you'll find the real deal about living well and leading well. I'm Kashana Palmer, your host and resident leadership whiz. What happened in the meeting after the meeting? We talk about it all on Let's Take This Offline. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and leave a comment so we can keep the conversation going. Concord Leadership Group founder Mark A. Pittman, CSP, helps leaders lead their teams with more effectiveness and less stress. His latest book is The Surprising Gift of Doubt, Use Uncertainty to Become the Exceptional Leader You Are Meant to Be. He's also the author of Ask Without Fear, which has been translated into Dutch, Polish, Spanish, and Mandarin. Mark's expertise and enthusiasm engages audiences around the world both in person and with online presentation, and has caught the attention of media organizations as diverse as the Chronicle of Philanthropy, Algeriza, Fox News, Success Magazine, and Real Simple. Mark tweets regularly at at Mark Pittman. He is the husband to his best friend and the father of three amazing kids. And if you drive by him on the road, he'll be singing 80s tunes loud enough to embarrass his family. All right, y'all, we are back in the studio again today for another exciting episode. And I could not be more pleased and excited to have my friend, Mark Pittman, in the studio with us today. What's up, Mark? Hey, I am so pumped to be here. Thanks, Kishana. Oh, my goodness. Listen, y'all, Mark is like an extra like certified. Wait a minute, Mark. First of all, you got this designation last year. You're like a professional certified speaker. Like there's a whole like thing that goes with it now. Yeah, I'm not just a speaker. I'm a certified speaking professional. A certified speaking <laughs> professional. You're actually the one. First of all, if y'all want to know how did Kishana have this like you know, rise in her speaking career so fast. I reached out to Mark a couple of years ago and I was like, hey man, um, I know you don't know me that well, but if you could just uh, spend a little time with me, um, I have some questions. And you were like, you got questions? I'll tell you what I know. And you just broke things down to me about like how I needed to be mm-hmm. out on the road, what some of that stuff was like, um, how much to charge, um, what was the like, sort of rule of the day, what type of professional organizations you wanted me to think about as I was growing my career. I mean, like you was super helpful and you didn't even know me. And so I, you know, just want to publicly appreciate you for that because um, you didn't have any reason to um, to spend the extra time with me other than the fact that I asked and I took it and ran with it um, and took your word mm-hmm. and even though I put a little Kashana spin on it as I got better, um, it definitely proved to be so, so, so helpful. And so thank you, Mark, um, you know, for that, because you definitely. Well, I appreciate that, but you've got it. I mean, I remember you <laughs> being in cause camp and uh, just watching you just own the room. Like uh, people just, 
were eating up whatever you were serving. It was great. It was so much fun to watch you just speak and, and you know, try, do truth bombs all over the place. And it's it's you're you're a master at doing that. It's really oh, good. Thank you. So I'm thank glad you're. Oh yeah. <laughs> I appreciate awesome. that. But no, but I just love watching you work and you know, uh, you know, you and I also bonded over the fact that we do not, we are unapologetic about our faith um, and how mm-hmm. that um, really serves as a foundational component to our life and our family. And, you know, I think that that's super important, particularly in the times we're in right now where, you know, what we believe um, can either send us into a spin um, or can be super grounding to how we see the world. And so that's, you know, those are another couple areas where we, we kind of bonded over. So just really excited to have you here. But folks don't want to know about our personal life. Okay, Mark? They do, but they don't. Okay. Well, I'm just totally fanboying. So you can just keep going. This is, <laughs> I, I love listening to you and I love seeing your posts. You do stuff so masterfully um, at just keeping in, keeping in streams in interesting ways. So, yeah. I try. It's mostly, just to, mostly just to <laughs> amuse myself. I just want you to know. And I'm just like, and if other people are looking, you know, that's great. But you are doing something that I think is incredible and um, of the many things, the one thing that you are doing really soon is um, dropping a new book, The Surprising Gift of Doubt. And the reason that, and let, oh, let me hold on, use uncertainty to become the exceptional leader you are meant to be. Y'all, first of all, there's nothing like a good subtitle, okay? Because that really gives you a clue into what this is going to be about. And I sat down the other night, y'all, and I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to skim a couple of chapters and make sure I know what I'm talking about. And it was three o'clock in the morning. And I was like, my lashes are falling out because I'm like cracking up, taking notes. I had to go downstairs to the office and get sticky notes and come back uh, because it was just so good. And so before we jump into... Um, the book and some of the, the the areas I want us to dig into. I'm curious, what made you decide to pull up from your, you know, full life and running multiple businesses to write this particular book? Wow, that's a, thank you. Uh, the this is this is sort of where this has been how I've coached people since 2003, um, and people missed it because I branded as fundraising coach. So mm-hmm. I, I niched in something I do really well, which is helping nonprofit executive directors and boards do fundraising. Um, and, and I love that brand because it had the implied ROI fundraising coach. Okay. He's going to teach me how to raise more money. So paying him will mean I'll get money back, which exactly. is the implied ROI is great, but it's all about leadership. It's about mm-hmm. mission and vision and values. So that was, so part of it was trying to, kind of reposition, like clarify people's view. Like I, people had a view that I had to help them shape definitely unabashedly, but it wasn't quite accurate about who I am, why I'm on the planet. Um, the other part was I get to continue to get tired of people asking me, what do you do? And I'll say, well, I'm an executive coach. And they'll say, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, that's cool. And then and there's just like, crickets, you know, right? <laughs> yes. There's that, that weird look on their face of, wait a minute, what do you do? <laughs> I know. And it's so funny, Mark, because when I was reading this, I said to myself, self, you know, this is a man. You got to call him on the weekends because it." I put a post up on Facebook um, right at the start of the new year. And I said, y'all, 
I get so many questions about what I do and I appreciate that folks are like, Tashana is so gifted. Everything she touches is gold. I'm like, is it though? Because the way my bank account is set up, the carry the one divided by the two. Are we going to state school? What are we doing for college? You know, I have questions. But the number of responses, the types of responses, it was everything from Tashana makes magic to Kashana does fundraising to I think Kashana might be a coach to Kashana's a speaker is Kashana a writer Kashana is very great at very great what I think was what I saw at promoting herself and I was like huh <laughs> that does not feel quite like that all right and it was everything but what I spend most of my time doing which is helping folks to wow. live better lives so they can be better leaders. And I do that with the justice focus in organizations and my clients know, but like you, they will call me because they're like, so about this money, um, we have a problem. We need help. And I would dig in and go, ah, money is not your primary problem. Actually, let's have a conversation. Right. And don't you find that? So why is it so tough for folks, for us to get our mind around the idea that in order to do any of the things, Mark, you want to be a better leader, amazing. You want to have an organization that has that's innovative, awesome. You want to have bigger impact, fantastic. But if you can't get your head around what it means to lead in action every day, your results are the results, but they may not be long-term results or they're going to come at a heavy price. How come we can't get folks to understand that? Uh. <laughs> That's your book. I can't wait for you to come up with that. Oh, <laughs> because it's true. I think it's so. Well, I think there's something comforting in thinking it's somebody else's fault. Uh-huh. Um, the donors aren't understanding. The customers aren't buying. If only this would work. Um, instead of looking back at ourselves and saying, "Okay, if my message isn't getting clear, I did a similar thing." Uh, because you asked me, "What's your what's your moniker? What are you known for?" So I put up on Facebook. I don't know. What am I known for? And it's as a hodgepodge as what you respond, you got, um, your bow ties, you're a home brewer, you know, there's, you're a fundraising guy, you make life, you know, you do things with joy, you teach things with joy. And it's, it's clear. What it's showing me is that, um, I still am not being clear in my messaging. Mm -hmm. I am not giving people the, 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 the words that they need that will be in harmony with what I do, which is ironically, as you do, this is what we teach organizations and leaders to do all the time is how do you get your messaging straight. So it's the cobbler's kids not having shoes. Yes. But um, I, I think for, I think it's, it's taking the ownership and taking the responsibility and saying they're not getting the message. It's not just, yes, fundraising is, you know, funding is needed. If we had more money, we could do more things. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, I think, well, I think part of it was fundraising too, just for that aside, is that I think because anybody can do fundraising, most people don't realize it's a career path that has, um, that has certifications and degrees and, you know, decades of research and deep problems. Uh, it's not at all immune to the whole systemic inequity that is in our culture. Exactly. Um, yet it's not a bake sale. It's not a selling a t-shirt. It's not, not just just because anybody can do it doesn't mean that anybody's ideas are good. Wait a minute, hold uh, on, hold and on. So that Mark, becomes really confusing. You said it's not a bake sale. <laughs> I, just want, I just want folks to just stop. It is not a bake sale, y'all. Uh, we don't need your scratch and sniff um, box mix, <laughs> trying to put the sprinkles on with the dust on your nose version of these hard cookies and uh, dry cakes. <laughs> 
of fundraising <laughs> at the organization. Everybody, in fact, if even if everybody could, Mark, everybody should not in the ways in which folks try to make it seem like it's as easy as breathing. You know, if, if I could, just hearing you say that, if I could go on a, a crusade or a mission to get everybody to remove the links to those online malls and Amazon smiles from their email, oh, why are you giving them advertising gosh. space for your cause? You're taking precious attention away from your cause and putting it to some retailer. No, no. you're going to get pennies on the dollar or less. <laughs> why not ask for money? Ask yeah, for yeah. the money. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in thinking about like clarity about mission, um, I wondered when I was reading this, this is both like a, Y'all, if you don't pick this book up, I'm going to be real upset, okay? Because it's it's like tic-tac-toe. And for those of us who like order, I am one of them. The creatives in the room are like, give me the framework and the system. I love it. But also, it read to me a little bit like the love letter that you would write to your younger self. Because yeah. it just talked about the idea that even right now, as you just were just describing for me, you know, folks still don't quite get it. And I'm like, you know, you were seasoned professional in this here thing. You are actually an expert and yet still have to continue to judge and to refine your message mm -hmm. so that people can understand with great clarity and specificity what you do. So it, I wondered if this wasn't even an additional kind of like nudge to yourself to get out there anyway, because you can't wait until it's perfect because somebody's always going to be a little bit confused. Oh, absolutely. And I think everybody, every, I've heard every author writes a book that does, that is often the stuff that they want to hear themselves. Yes. Um, this is stuff I've learned. And part of what came out of this was working with a friend of mine, Neen James, and she's in Florida and she has a whole very simple, but very powerful concept of contextual modeling. She said, people can understand what you do better if you give them a model. Um, seven habits, could have been just seven different things, but the minute that Covey put it into this really ar arcane, complicated model, it still became something that people could draw out and share. Mm -hmm. um, four quadrants, seven habits. So it's, it's cones, it's triangles, it's circles, it's Venn diagrams. And it was really funny because what I think, you know, as a coach, you know, you don't necessarily, it's not like you're going in and saying, you got to start at point A and go to point B and go to point C. It's, we got this toolkit here and let's diagnose the problem. Let's only address what, what the issue is. Let's not just force you artificially through some control, something for my own ego. It's not about my ego. It's about your results. Absolutely. So um, her, her, the first contextual model was I realized, wait, this is how I work with clients, but where are clients on this journey? And that's where it became the, the leader's journey with the four quadrants because it, and people get it. Like I've had people repeat it back to me, Kashana, within after for years of them saying, I don't know what you do. I've had clients report, repeat the four quadrants back to me in their own words. That's magic. When That's people magic. are repeating your thought pattern, they're like, they already own it. It's already part of who they are. Yeah. This is, this is why I'm so excited about I like the love letter aspect to my younger self, but it's also really exciting because it's, understandable <laughs> <laughs> and we like well, first of all so there's two things that ha were happening in my mind when you described that on this on the side where we like a good framework because you know it makes us feel smart you know we know a thing or two we can mm. we can reference it we can go you know according to the four quadrants according to no we we like a, and yeah. particularly and it's very u.s centric to be honest um but it is we love a good expert like i think we unique to our experience here um 
in North America, we love a good expert. So we like that aspect. And I'm sure that it shows up differently globally. Um, but that's something that I was uh, talking with another consultant friend of mine the other day about this like obsession with the, the expert. But we like to we like the smart you know, aspect of work and of understanding because it makes us feel like we've sort of like, you know, ascended to a different level of knowing and of being along our own journey. And yet it comes down to a couple of key things. And one of the things that you break down so softly in your book is around your gifts. And so The thing that I love about this particular chapter, accepting your gifts, is that, I don't know about you, Mark, but growing up, I feel like I was taught with um, negative reinforcement at school. And one of the things you and I have Mm. in common is that there was schoolwork and then there was home homework. I had the Palmer work. You had the Pittman work. Oh, absolutely. And my daughter did, too. Absolutely. 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 All the way to college. (laughs) (laughs) There was extra work. My father wanted to make sure that we had an understanding of the world, that we were clear about how to respect and interact with people. And because for my family, they were, you know, um, new to the U.S. And so we were first gens. Uh, My dad really, I had a particular view on how I don't think he would say assimilation, but how he wanted us to be a part of the fabric of the community we were in. And that was a part of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but the thing that happened at school is that I feel like there was all of this sort of like negative reinforcement. If you don't do this, you will. If this doesn't happen, then you won't. If you don't, then this thing will or won't happen. There were so many consequences attached to behavior that what it started to teach was that you had to really constantly work on your weaknesses all the time, but your gifts, if you weren't in a home or if you didn't have a teacher or you didn't have someone, or even some of us just have that, that inner thing that just makes us go on our own. Okay. Everybody don't have it, Mark, but some people have it. But if you didn't have someone that was saying, (laughs) but about your gifts though, then they atrophied a little bit. And then you continue on along your academic journey into your internship journey, your first job, et cetera. And so your gifts are just coming along behind you, Mark, just limping along. And then. Because, yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, Emily and I went to, my wife Emily and I, we moved to a, a boarding school on Long Island called the Sunnybrook School. Mm-hmm. And she was a dorm mom for, for teenage girls. And I was faculty member and fundraiser and all. Dinner, sit down dinners with the students. It's just it's quite an experience. Was, I loved it. I thought it was great. But one of the things we learned was that we liked going to leaders. We liked working with the student leaders. Mm-hmm. And we didn't give ourselves credit for that maybe is, was why we were on campus because it was easy for us. It was part of, it gave us joy. So we figured, well, that can't be real. Um, we have to go work with the students that are having, you know, struggling with uh, learning differences or that have behavioral issues because that's the real hard work. Uh, and as we were going through our time there, we realized, wait a minute the student leaders are left alone. Absolutely. People, and it happens in organizations too. You're, the, the higher you rise in, in leadership, the less supervision you tend to get because people think you got it. You got it together. Like, oh. And you don't really because you're still human. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, was, it, it was remarkable when we realized that, that there were two experiences at that school that helped me to start realizing some of the stuff that brings me joy is exactly what the world needs. Mm-hmm. And that just feels like we're, getting, we're cheating. Because of the way that so much of our education, <laughs> it feels like, can it? Could it be this? And so one of our cues is, and our it was for each of us is, um, 
if we have that niggling question, would God be that good? We're like, that's a tell for us of we're, we're going in. Like, yes. Ooh, would we get to do that? Like, really? Uh, the other thing is when I, I was, a, I loved fundraising, as you know. And so I was talking to a teacher and I remember we were going to, going to run some errands and I was trying to tell him about the hard thing about traveling and visiting, you know, I'd gone to 11 states to mm-hmm. visit alum and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And I was really trying to downplay it. I didn't realize how much I was trying to downplay it, but I was trying to <laughs> not make it sound like I really enjoyed what I was doing because I was traveling and meeting cool people and, t- you know, collecting stories. And he turned and looked at me and he said, you really love what you do, don't you? And I just, it all, all my facade broke. I said, I do. I, I think do. it's the best thing in the world. And he said, I would never want to do what you do. You're facing people every day where you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You have objective measures of money that you have to hit, targets you have to hit, and you don't know how you're going to necessarily get there. I like going into my classroom. I like knowing my curriculum. I like knowing what I'm going to do mm-hmm. and where, and if something has to be adjusted, exactly where I adjust it. Um, and it, that was so freeing for me to realize, okay, not only is a gift is stuff I enjoy, maybe that could be something, you know, a clue to why I'm here on the planet, but <laughs> not everybody else wants to do it, <laughs> which is bizarre. I can't understand. Why wouldn't anybody want to ask for money? You're plugging people into stuff they value. Who wouldn't want to be that kind Who of matchmaker? Kind of, exactly. And I'm always like asking people for money is the easy part for me. For me, I always kind of tripped up over the prospect research aspect because it's that first step that you take. And so when I was reading through this part about gifts and taking the first step, one of the things that stood out to me was when you talked about something I'm obsessed with and this all of the sort of predictive behavioral tests we use at work. And so mm. I know you um, have, you know, you do, you are with Franklin Covey and I know there's tons of others we could talk about. So there's, you know, there's DISC and some people use 16 personalities. Um, I love yep. Gallup Strength Finder. Um, I think oh, there's, there's yeah. Enneagram, you know, I feel like there are new ones now that are popping up um, that are starting to become more sophisticated. But one of the things that I love is that, you know, we're always searching for categories. Categorize. Oh Lord, here's the word. We are always searching to be categorized. Didn't we say, Mark, that we had those list yeah, of words? That's true. <laughs> Why is that one of mine? So we're always looking for that. <laughs> now I'm and, stumbling over in my head too. <laughs> right, right. And as leaders, when we are thinking about like how are we going to get to goal? How are we going to help our organization? hit those strategic bets, those milestones, what's next for us. And we look at what I believe are our greatest assets, which are our our people. It's easy for us to want to understand how to Lego them. You know, they got to go in this box and that thing, they got to fit and they got to go here. And so you talk about how you have to be able to, to how you can successfully use these sort of tools in a more healthy way. And I'd love for you to dig in a little bit about that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. The, one of the dangers of the, the labeling that can go on or the categorization or whatever, the classifying is that it limits people. And it's almost like um, the people that would used to collect butterflies by putting a pin in them and then have a board uh, with all the different bugs and pin and, and butterflies. You're not trying to pin people down with a needle or something. You're trying to free them up and you're trying to understand how do I speak your dialect? How do I fully understand and appreciate who you are? Um, and unfortunately, Kashana, people sometimes allow those labels. Um, sometimes it's external. People put the labels on them. I, I talk about walking through an organization where they had the four shapes with the four colors or whatever their right. personality test was. And instead of being invitational and saying, 
oh, maybe I should lead with facts before I relieve a relationship with this person. It became sort of judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, they can't possibly do this role or I can't possibly invite them on the committee because they'll get it because they're just this they're type just of person. They're just that type of person. So they're they're just that way. People, you know how Kashana is. Yeah. And it's worse when we start doing it ourselves. Ooh. I'm just that way. Just, I'm never, you know, I can't ever do that. We just count um, yourself out. There's a, it, there's a limit there. And it's a nuance, isn't there? Because there are some things like for me, I mean, for a totally non emotional one, <laughs> I, I just suck at paperwork. I don't like doing paperwork, databasing. Like I know I need to keep records. I know I need to do paperwork. Of I know course. I need to write notes. Oh I know I need to do contracts. This, it, I, it takes me a lot of time. So one of the things that I had to do with some of those assessments we t- that we were talking about is I, I realized there's, I actually tested as someone who takes a lot of time on paperwork we, uh, for the Highlands Abilities Battery. That's one of the tests. Yeah. And so after my board meetings every month, I'd block the next three hours to do the minutes because even though we had a secretary, apparently he didn't do the minutes. I did. So, as a staff <laughs> that's, member, a, that's a whole different and episode. So, and my CFO, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Right. So, and my CFO said, I was complaining to my CFO and he said, Mark, the gift in that, you know, he was very good at reframing too. He said, the gift in that is you get to tell the narrative. So you can report everything that was said, but you can accent the stuff that you know will help you move forward. <laughs> oh, all right. Thanks. I own the narrative. That's cool. Um, so, but it still took me three hours. Um, another one is phone calls. I'm, I love, I love the results of phone calls. I don't do them. Uh, I don't, it's not something I, you know, I, I, I don't wake up in the morning hoping to be on the phone with people. Um, but it takes me six to 10 minutes, six or 10 minutes to do a phone call. If I'm calling through a bunch of people, even just to say thank you or to keep in touch. So when I have 30 people to call for something, I feel like I should be able to do it in a half hour, but I know it's going to take me about three hours. Exactly. So knowing that there are certain things that I just don't do well, but that's okay. It doesn't mean it's limiting. It means you build margin into your schedule to actually give yourself the space to do what has to get done. And it doesn't mean that it's the thing that you dread the most. It means that you've figured out ways to kind of manage your space and your time and your energy in a way that when you have to do the thing that you know, it's like people, it's like me. I, I am not one of those people, Mark, who go, oh my gosh, I just worked out. Mm, joyous. The high I get from working out. You know, I talk about wellness all the time. Let me tell you what I don't do that. At the end of every workout, I'm like, well, well I didn't die. You know, like that's about as good as it's going to get. I really still want a nap. I'm still right now waiting for the endorphins to drop in from this morning's spin that I did. I'm just waiting. It just didn't occur. <laughs> and yet, I hear people say that it happens, but I have not experienced that when? either. <laughs> I'm in my 40s. When, Lord, when is it going to happen? You know, but you know that you just have to manage your time and your energy against the things that you know that once they're done, you're like job well done, but they may not be the thing that has you skipping through the, through the, the field of, of flowers. Oh Lord, I'm, I'm thinking about the hills are alive. Well, and I think the sound of still... music. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. My arms just went out. If we were on video, you'd see I, my arms just went out. I almost started twirling in my chair. It was a reflex. <laughs> yeah, total reflex. Um, and I think that what you just said is really important because when I'm doing, when I train teams, uh, one of the things that the organizations I'm working with right now are really loving is the Enneagram, which is a nine typology yes. thing that I could totally nerd out about. But um, the, I, whenever you're discovering about yourself, uh, one of the, even if you're not good at something in your, if you're in a job, you're, you've got a responsibility. It's 
an, an integrity thing. You said you will do certain things, and even if they're not life-giving or not great, you still have to do them. It's still part of being a human them. being in an artificial organization called a, a job. <laughs> um, so that, that is something I really land on hard at the end of the training because it's not, I don't want to be a killjoy, but life isn't just skipping through flowers and, and you know, dancing through the mountains. Um, there are parts of that that are great. But there's just parts of life that aren't. So adjusting your, trying to adjust your team or your calendar or your schedule or just whatever little bit of the environment you have control over, trying to adjust that enough so that you can start building capacity and to do the stuff you don't like really matters. Absolutely <laughs> matters. And I think that, you know, it for those of us who like to have like your to do, like that is a good to do because it makes you feel like you've taken a step forward. It feels tangible. It feels like something I can wrap my mind around. But mm. then we start to step out into the thing that is absolutely critical, but doesn't feel as tactical. And that is learning the stories that serve you. Now, when I got to chapter six in your book, I said, forget it. I threw that book right across my bed. I told you I was up till three in the morning reading this thing, Mark. I threw it across my bed and I said, nope, not today. I don't have time for this foolishness. Mark is not about to get in my head over the stories I tell myself. And so, Mark, you talk about. I'm so honored because Brene Brown says that that's the mark of a good book. The number of times people throw it out yes, of there against the wall. I, I threw that <laughs> Thank book. You. you better believe it. I said, forget that. I don't have time for Mark today. Okay. And so, Mark, you break down that there are three types of stories that we tell ourselves. And I said, oh, my goodness, the ticker tape of narrative that is running across my brain, like the updates on the New York Stock Exchange right this second is unbelievable. So how do you, why do you feel like there are, the, what are these three types of stories and how do you feel like this really changes the game for us when we get our hands around these particular types of stories? Wow. That is, yeah, I love the picture of the ticker tape because that's, that, that is really accurate. Um, I, I don't know why it is, but I know that human beings, if you have a, an Apple phone, you have iOS operating system. If you mm-hmm. have an Android phone, you have an Android operating system human beings have a story operating system. And there's, uh, there have been studies that have d- been done that show that even if you want to teach math to students, if you teach them narrative form, how to tell a good story, yes. they get the math formulas better yes, and more absolutely. accurately. It's just a story. It's, it's shocking how, yeah. And so it shouldn't surprise us, but we uncritically go through our lives with, with these stories. When something happens to us, the knee-jerk reaction for human beings is, Why? We want to contextualize that. Mm. We want to put a story around that. Um, and for example, um, I've got an email out to somebody that I want to interview. He hasn't responded back. A normal, in, in, for some reason, human beings go negative more quickly than positive. But a normal thing for me is starting to worry. Maybe I offended him. Maybe I said things the wrong way. Maybe I right. shouldn't have used these words. Maybe I should have used something else. Maybe he just didn't get the email yet. I mean, hello. It, it could have went to junk, and um, it's not on purpose either. It's the Google. <laughs> it's the internet. Right. Well, there's that too. Yeah, Google may have thought that maybe he didn't want to see this. So the there are three different the three different uh, tactics that I, I I have found to be helpful with the people I work with is one I picked up from Jessica Sharp, who's an amazing uh, consultant here in Greenville. 
she works with her, her clients to say, just kind of narrate, just list on a pad of paper, the stuff you're telling yourself mm-hmm. so for a day, three days a week, just non-judgmentally kind of uh, just observe what are the comments that are coming in your head? Oh, I can't do that. There's no way that's going to happen. I'm so bad yep. at this. I'm not good at that. Just write them down. And then at the end of your time, look at them and say, would you, would you ever say that to a friend? Uh, yeah. and, and if the answer is no, then maybe you should start being a better friend to yourself. Ooh. So those are some of the stories. I know she's so Ooh, brilliant. That, so no, all are, my edges just left me. They just left me. Mark, listen, your hair just flew right back. Okay. I just want you to know which your bow tie just was flying right through the air, everybody. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. Are you, how could it, if you wouldn't say it to a friend, how dare you say it to yourself? How dare You're the only you? one you've got. There's only one of you. <laughs> So, uh, so, so that's one. It's just, and, and the reason for that is I, um, the, the way I put it is it's like, uh, your subconscious is your Google, your inner, your own personal Google, your subconscious. And I read this in some other book that I, I referenced and I'm blanking on it right now, but that your subconscious is like a file clerk. It's only job is to prove you right. So whatever you think it's going through the files to find the, the data to back up what you said about yourself. Absolutely. So, uh, if you say, I'm, and the example I think I use is, I, I used to say I was really bad with names, but I remember faces really well. And finally, the pain of forgetting somebody's name got too, like, I could see it, they, it crushed them, that they had to remind me their name again. Uh, and so I started realizing, wait a second, I get faces. If I remember faces, maybe memory is related. Maybe I can remember names too. Absolutely. So I started telling myself the story of, I'm getting better at remembering names. That's the way I, I would put it. Um, and so the language we use is actually cueing our subconscious to pull those that data and re, kind of rewire the way we work. Uh, so those are how you can kind of take control of that part of your story. But did you do, did you, what did you do with the movies one? So did you do that? No. So I didn't do the movies when I did the write down everything that came to your brain for an hour. And I was like, and the second time of the night, Ooh. let me just, th- I, just the whole pad on the ground, the whole pad. <laughs> I, so I couldn't even do the movies one because I was like, you know what? I don't have time for this two times in one night. Cause I'm not going to sleep for a week. Because <laughs> the it's things, so powerful it's because so we powerful. just don't see what it's almost like, uh, you know, I had a gram a grandmother that used to smoke and, um, when you walked into our house, it was, it was just steep in that cigarette smoke. Um, and it's almost like that's how we're living our lives so much with that toxicity that mm. we're just feeding ourselves all the time. And it's not, I mean, it's not all our own fault. There are entire industries that are set up to, to feed and reinforce those inadequacies and that feeling of falling short and not measuring up and not looking right and not being right. So, there's plenty of other, <laughs> there's plenty of fodder for that negative conversation. Absolutely. In we have lots of help. <laughs> lots Lot, of help. Lots yeah. Of help. People are paid lots of money to help you feel inadequate and not as sorts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's amazing when you start being aware of it and just catching yourself. Uh, to, and, and it gets a little, you can get a little gimmicky with it. Like for me, I don't like to say I forget things because I don't want my file clerk putting forgetfulness in my mind. No. So I say I'm not remembering it right yeah, now. Yeah, I miss Because I want to reinforce remembering. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I had a brain fart. Oh, I'm like, hold on a minute. It'll come to me. <laughs> or brain freeze, you know? Yes, I agree yeah, with that. Senior moment, you know, yes. whatever. You, there's all sorts of different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it's like so, you have to really. So one of the other yourself. ways to do it, another way that people that are listening might be able to think if they if that feels like a little bit too in, invasive, like actually listening to what you're saying to yourself, is to look at your movies or your books that you keep going back to and see what characters you resonate with. Ooh. Uh, pick this up from a guy named John Eldridge, and I think it's I think it's actually based more in Jungian kind of thought that the stuff that we are there's stuff that we're attracted to that we're afraid we're not, we, we're not that. So, and Ooh. I'm not a psychoanalyst, so I'll let somebody else. It's called the golden shadow. I think um, there, but what it, what I found in doing this process was I, I went Lord of the Rings was something that I keep going back to. Mm. And I felt, I felt so it seemed like a stupid exercise. And usually with my clients, it feels like a stupid exercise too, because with the stuff that's so close and personal to us, we feel like must be so close and personal to everybody else. Yes. But it's not. It's not. So for me, it was Gandalf. I was like, man, Gandalf is a nerd. He knows how to research in the tombs mm-hmm. in the or in the monasteries. He goes and finds the documents. If you, you know, in the books, he doesn't show it so much in the movies, but he figures out what is this ring thing and where does it come from and what is its history? And he just does the years of really solid research and he can kick ass. Yes. Like, he's a warrior. He knows how to stand up for the people around him and he's not afraid to, to fight for the right. And I was like, that's why. I, so when I said Gandalf with the group I was with, I thought everybody's going to say Gandalf. And it, it, made, it was shocking to me that nobody else said Gandalf. They had other stories, they had other characters. So that's when I started wondering, what is it about Gandalf that maybe reflects something about me? Oh. And I know for me, I don't want to ever speak on stage if I haven't researched the topic. Me too. I don't want to oh ever gosh. say something. Oh, you're right. Yeah. How we have unequaled influence when we're on stage, and why would we be glib or that? cavalier about something that people are going to make change their lives about? Correct. Right? I want to know the research. Yeah. I don't mind making it popular. I don't mind making it understandable. But I want to know where I got it. Absolutely. Which <laughs> so is I can why point like, people back to the source. And think about like from a values perspective too, and then back to your gifts. Like, and I was thinking about where you talked about the fact that your homework involved like getting into that sort of like personal development and respect and integrity. And you know, I always talk about your characters being built when no one is looking. Right. And so when mm. I'm on stage and I'm sure when you're on stage, people are looking at us like they're not just looking to be inspired, but they, I want them to walk away like with a thing or two or three. So it would feel really crazy to me to not be able to name where I heard a thing. So I realized that attribution is huge for me, but not just mm. in my professional life, in my personal life. And so when you talk about like the stories you tell yourself, I do not like it when when my friends or family members do not say Thank you, Kashana. Or shout out to Kashana for the fill in the blank. And it's not because mm. I want credit, right? I don't care. I, if you use something that I was able, that that helped, amazing. But the attribution, like the, the you retell it, you respin it, but you didn't say, oh, you know, I was talking to my girl Kish and she said. So if people like listen to me speak or they see what I write, there are very few times where I don't attribute something I heard to the person I heard it from. And it's so interesting how that is just a through a thread because the story I've been telling myself is if I don't give the person who I heard it or where I read it credit, people will think I'm a fraud. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. We're, I totally resonate with that. Right. So like that. And I never want, I never want to be a fraud. Never. Yeah. People. So one of the things with speaking, even like we're doing now, people can never get, they can get back money. They can get back resources. They can never get back their time. Absolutely. And I have, I have sat through talks where people have wasted an hour of my life. Oh my God. They told me they were going to teach me something and it was actually an infomercial. And I never want to inflict that on somebody. Me either. 
Me either. Mm. Ooh, that is something that's so important to me. And, <laughs> and I'm like, and so y'all, if you're telling yourself a story that you know is not true, okay, if you're self-aggrandizing and so forth and such, or if you're self-deprecating on the other end, we need you to swing to the middle and turn to chapter right. six of this here book and spend 20 pages or so with your pen and paper and a highlighter and get your life together because Mark has given you the way, okay? Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back in a few. Kashana and Co. is a boutique organizational development and leadership learning company focused on equity-centered strategic consulting executive coaching, and leadership education. We help companies, organizations, institutions, and the people that lead them live well and lead well. Through innovative training and retreats, group and individual high-performance coaching, and in-house consulting engagements designed to help fast-growth teams recruit and retain top talent and grow the leadership pipeline for the future of work, we are changing the game on how we think about management and leadership. So go ahead and visit us at kashanaco.com. That's www.k-i-s-h-s-h-a-n-a-c-o.com. Now let's get back to the show. And speaking of giving you the way, Mark, you also break well, to put a pin to, to just to accent that. Yeah. One of the things that in our faith tradition, uh, we were ta- at least I was taught was that humility meant not speaking too highly of yourself, and that meant not playing to your strengths. Mm. So I would just as we're moving to the middle, it's okay to be thinking good at doing something. That's right. That's, there's something very humble about saying, "Man, I'm really good at this." It doesn't sound like the way we've modeled humility in our cultures or in the culture I was brought up in Same. anyway, but it is, there is something really bringing to the middle. Like you said, it's not self-aggrandizing in a, in a weird egotistical way. It's just telling the truth. Telling the truth. And there is something very different and very needed. The world needs the voice that people have. And, and the, Yeah. So, Absolutely. No, I'll I love start that. Preaching. I'll no, stop. And, I'll look, and I'd be like, and then <laughs> is there one, is there one? Okay, like that's what I'm here for it. Um, And I think it's so true, man, to think about just like how how we were raised and those like early stories, that mental model is so foundationally important. And some of us, in order to step forward and to step out of that doubt, have to rewrite some of that narrative. And so it's so so um, it's not surprising that throughout your book that that storytelling aspect and just the breaking down that the the composition the composition of a story is so critical in being mm. able to step forward in your leadership journey and i think that that is so critical and so as a part of that mark organization i'm highly organized i just want to say like i i absolutely am and yet i am probably not the person mark that you want on the detail you know department because I'm either so far in the details that I can't see the forest anymore because about this one tree though or I span out so far that I can give you big vision vision is that being a futuristic is one of my strengths um and so I can span out so far that I can cast it for you then I can activate you around it but about the about the how just get me to the outcome so I love that you say that in order to be able to really like kind of 
understand how to use that uncertainty to become an exceptional leader, one of the things you've got to do is organize around your goals. So you could have picked anything, Mark. Why organizing around your goals? Probably because I, this is all, everything that I wrote about here is built out of uh, not only my own personal journey, but also 18 years of coaching other Mm -hmm. people, other leaders Mm -hmm. and seeing where they're, what wasn't connecting and where, where were the gears not fully engaging. Um, And there's something about goal setting is one of the ones that um, there's so many books written on it. So many, so many good, seriously good things that are written about it. But, um, I, I guess for me and for the people that the leaders I work with, we like to keep score in some way. Mm-hmm. And so much of our work, as you go up in leadership, it becomes less how many widgets are you producing or how many discrete things are you keeping score of to relationships and influence and vision that feels either squishy or intangible. And goals are a way of trying to make the intangible tangible. They're also a way of making the tangible you better believe you know it. how you're keeping score, but um, so I love that's why I love goals to and, and organizing around goals because it, it kind of gives you some sort of objective viewpoint and even if they shift, even if they change, um, it gives you something to to you know on those days when you're not feeling great about yourself or you know at the time of this recording we're still in you know stay at home procedures lockdown quarantine whatever yeah and it's, you, you're an extrovert and you want to be around other people. You can look at the goals and realize, okay, maybe I'm not an entire loser. <laughs> maybe I'm good. I am contributing to the world, Something even though it's the not world. the way that I'm used to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a dope way of looking at goals. And I feel like, you know, one of the things that you broke down was starting with your top 100 and then um, stepping forward into your cascade. And I love that because I'm always thinking about that sort mm. of like big, hairy, audacious goal. Mine is big. You know, I want to have a syndicated show in the next two years. Y'all heard it. Okay. I want Mark on my couch syndicated. I was going to say, I want it, I'm it right now. No, no, no. That's I, it. I have listed on my 100 for, since for almost 20 years um, that I want to be a guest on Oprah's show. And then I started, because of words are important, I started saying, a guest on Oprah's show and interviewed positively. So now underneath that, I'm going to say, I want to be a guest on Kishana's show and interviewed positively. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. So in, in using your model of first putting down that hundred, that hundred, it was freeing to me. And I didn't think it was overwhelming only because it just released me because when I do my vision for the year, and I get in my prayer closet and y'all, we talked about this in other episodes, Mark, that I am unabashed about my faith. And so when I get down to like, what do I want to be focused on? What is God telling me to do? I break it down by categories. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it right now in my office, y'all, with the recording. That's where you hear the paper. And it is in spirit, in health, in family, mm-hmm. in business, in my love life, and in travel. And I just go. I don't even think about it. It's an, it's right. on a piece of paper. It's huge. You know, the one we teach with. And it just has markings and different colors everywhere. And I don't redo it. I just leave it there the way it came to me. So when I started to do my yeah. 100 goals, I said, wait a minute. So I had to get three pieces of paper. 
<laughs> and I just went hard. <laughs> and I was like, okay, now let me go back and circle. I put a little star with the different color markers around it so I can make sure I have my categories. And then I sat down to type it. And it was it was re- it was such a release because it felt like all of the ideas that I had in my mind could move. Some of them were dreams. Some of them could move closer in mm-hmm. to goals that weren't actionable yet. And then some of them could move closer into goals I could action. And then I got to the cascade and I said, oh, so break us down to how we do this cascade goals, because I just well, love it. First of all, so anybody that wants to know the 100 goal thing, just go if you Google magnet goals or concrete leadership group magnet goals, there's a free guide that will take you right through that if you want. Um, and, and Kashana, what you th- described is when I've done that with people in live audiences, it's amazing. It's like, I don't know if you ever had one of those toys or little towels that just add water and expanded into like it became a dinosaur yes. or became a full fledged thing. It was like that. It's like, we're so dehydrated because we're focused only on what we think is quote unquote matters, which is income and job that we forget that we're human beings and doing the hundred forces us to be farcical and fanciful and just reach because you're just trying to fill a hundred lines at some point. You know? yes. So that I'm so glad that you had that experience too of, of it being opening and in and Yeah. That's really very cool. So the, the cascading goals is, is something that I was, tr- I was actually taught. I mean, one of the best things about being a coach and a consultant is that you learn from others. Um, and this, this client in Northern New, in New England had a uh, called cascading goals where instead of taking the goals that you have and then turning to the people in your life and asking them what goals they have for you and then living chafing between their expectations and your expectations so that when you're working on their expectations, you know that you're leaving your most important things to, you know, you're not getting, you're not focusing on them. And then when you turn to focus on your most important things, you feel like you're not addressing the needs of the people's other expectations. It's instead it's looking at those three sheets of paper that you have and figuring out, okay, this is who I am. This is what I want to be. And then turning to your life and saying, how does that, what parts of these, these goals still work with, with each of these different areas of my life? Yes. Where can I express them? How can I express this? I was, I was on a call yesterday with a fundraiser who said her, one of her core values is children. So when she was working with a housing organization, even though they worked with parents and job stability and mortgage payments and all, it was, she was doing it because it was giving kids a safe place to be in stability. And so she was able to plug her overarching kind of magnet goals and her reason for being into cascade it into this operation, uh, into the way that she would live her life and really refueled from that where she could have totally missed that. Oh, this isn't about kids. We're just dealing with politicians and adults, but she could see the kids beyond that. Does that help? Love that. Love I mean, that. I feel like I'm monologuing because I could go on no, about this. No, no. Listen, f- listen, folks, the Fab Crew already knows. They're not coming to this party uh, just to, to just listen in because it feels good, although it does feel good. And, you know, I could use a little cocktail. So, you know, anytime you want to jump in and talk to us about this fantastic hidden skill you have of being a microbrewer that we need to see on a reality show, we can jump to that. <laughs> but I do love the idea of just breaking down the cascade because, Mark, some of us really suck at the goal setting thing. And further, the yeah. number of clients that I've had to look at their goals and go, <laughs> okay, so these are actually not goals. These are um, activities. Some of these are outputs, though. Okay, let's start again with what right? that actually And to recalibrate what a goal is and what it's supposed to help you do. If you 
right now are thinking about your personal goals and you grown, friend, that is the wrong set of goals, period. It might have some tasks mm. that you have to get done and that a task might make you groan. But your goals, in my mind, are supposed to energize you and excite you. Okay. They give you the activation of your purpose, which is an outgrowth of your values in this moment in your life. And so when you're an organizational leader, whether you founded this organization or company or you are at the helm or you are at different parts of the organization, so you're a part of the Voltron, your job is <laughs> to action the good stuff. And the good stuff is in your vertical. And so if you're looking at the what? goals and it's not the good stuff, we might have to have a different conversation. Well, and that's exactly where I learned. So cascading goals came from an organization and I broke it down for the individual. But for the organizational leader, most executive directors of nonprofits and CEOs of companies, they, they take their direction from the board or from their own, like, I have to do these things. And then they turn to their staff thinking that they're being good servant leaders saying, what do you need to get your job done without sharing to their staff what the organizational goals are, exactly. what the strategic plan says, what they're, you're, what you're, cause they feel like it's cheating to have your staff work on your own goals. No, it's not. It's about moving the organization forward. forward. So when you can cascade <laughs> those into where, here's what the organization's goals are for the year. Where do you see yourself in this? I've had CFOs that are actually really good at marketing. You wouldn't necessarily put that in their job function, but man, I'll tell you when you have somebody, a CFO who can tell the number story Ooh. to a donor or to a customer, whoo, that's so much better than me telling it. I can tell vision, but they can tell like they can do anything. Ooh, I don't even know. I just get out the way. I go first of all. Just here's my friend Mark. He's our CFO. I just want you to know he's gonna just break down how we do this thing, and then I'm just gonna sit back right here and just here we are. Because that is magic. Right? But if people's yeah. goals... You wouldn't are, look at the CFO exactly. and say, okay, you're on the marketing team. Exactly. So when you take the organizational goals, here's the places we need to grow to, to reach what we think we want to reach in the next three to five years. Here are the things that we think we can actually move on this year. Where do you see yourself in that? Uh, there may be times where you have to tell yourself, well, that's really, that's awesome. I'm glad you like woodworking and building, you know, pagodas, <laughs> but that's not what we're able to, that's not in your function. So what in your what in your job description? So you can bring them back to the job description, but you'll find some really really fun discoveries on the way too. And and the best part, Kishana, as you know, is that's when you start working. You're in sync with your organization. Absolutely. That's when the strategic plan is flowing through you as the leader to your staff, and the staff isn't second guessing when you're out doing your stuff. Why isn't the, why are they around? No, they know that you're working on their goals too because you're helping them with their exactly. goals because they're your goals. Exactly. Ah, Oof, a great thing. Listen, I just want folks to know that if you are thinking to yourself, self, I'm not quite sure I've been doing this this the way I've been living in doubt and living and shaking in my boots and making decisions. I know are crazy, but I don't want to say anything. OK, Mark's book is coming out soon. So, Mark, when is your book dropping? When can we get our hands on a copy and the goodies you have to go with it? Tell us everything. All right. The book is coming out on March 23rd. You can pre-order now and go to, if you go to surprisinggiftedout.com, the, there's uh, a bunch of independent bookstores and booksellers, as well as the big one in the room um, that you can go to. <laughs> and then you can also get pre, pre-order bonuses. So if you order one copy, five copies or 10 copies, you get different pre-order bonuses. And you can even get the first chapters right away immediately. So you can hear what Kishana is talking about uh, without having to wait. But 
Um, the, yeah, that's, if you're listening to this after March 23rd, there's still plenty of good stuff in the book for you. And it's, it's available just about anywhere. As far as I know, my publisher has been shocked at how well the pre-sales have gone. So, um, I'm so not thank shocked. you. If you've already bought the book, thank you so much. Be sure to get the bonuses at uh surprisinggiftedoubts.com. I want to make sure I can give you all the, all my gratitude for that. So yes. I love it. Mark, listen, I could talk to you all afternoon. We got to do something together because I just feel like people would be like, I'm shaking in my boots. I don't know what just happened in that room. I need a nap. I need so many things. <laughs> I cried. I laughed. Wait a minute. I, let me get my pajamas. So we have got to figure that out. But I want to thank you so and much. And I got to figure out the cocktail because I want to have a surprise and get the Dell cocktail. And you mentioned that. So yeah. my friend Reed Sandbridge and I were trying to, br- trying to pull up the, a cocktail. So if any of your listeners have ideas for what might taste like doubt or what might taste like awareness and solidity of wow growing clarity Uh, let me know i would love to know that i love it you know i I put a custom cocktail with just about everything i do and it's which is hilarious because i actually don't drink that much but as much as i reference it you would think i do (laughs) but i love it i don't drink hard liquor much either but and here we are it's fun That's what you have to do. You have to have fun with it. Mark, and I have had a blast. I am so grateful to you for coming to hang out with me today, for dropping some knowledge and just chatting with me about the surprising gift of doubt. Thank you so, so much. Well, thank you for adding light to my world and to the world. I really appreciate all that you're just bursting forth. uh, And and just, uh, I I am so grateful to be on the planet when you are. Oh my gosh, me too. I feel the same. Awesome friend. We'll talk soon. I love a good predictive personality test. Oh, jeez. I love them, y'all. 16 personalities, strength finder, disc, Enneagrams, human design. Woo-wee. I mean, I love them all. I have all of the answers to all the things and almost all of mine connect together. So there's a little bit of truth to it, even if I'm just saying so. But if used incorrectly at your organization, you could put yourself or your team in a box. I know nobody wants to put Kishana in a box. Oh, Kish can't do that. She's an Enneagram five. Oh, don't ever ask Sean to do that. You know, he's all input and I don't want to be here all day with all the questions. These tools, these predictive tools help us tease out our gifts, not encourage us to put them away. And so as a leader, and especially if you are a people manager, It's not enough to bring these tests into your organization once a year because you were trying to like do something different with the culture and get people motivated and all excited about learning about themselves and then toss it in a drawer. Okay, you'll need to fold it into the way your organization operates. But to do that in a healthy way, you'll need to look at each team member through the prism of how folks are actually hardwired. There are three things that I just think stood out to me from our talk today that I want to make sure that you get in your mind. You're looking at the behaviors, the abilities, some people might call those the skills, and the motivations or the will of each of your team members. 